For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So I appreciate the invitation to be to be talking tonight, and this is a group that um, I consider uh, home in many ways, and um, and so I I think that makes it easier and harder at the same time because <laughs> I feel like this group knows me well. Um, but when Tigan asked me to do a Dharma talk, I I um, it brought my mind to what, what's been going on in my head lately. And I, I guess I'm still in this uh, post-pandemic um, phase where I've had more time to myself, more time in my own head, more time on the screen, uh, more time in my own neighborhood. Uh, who was I talking to? Less um, contact with people because uh, I work at home some of the time. Um, and uh, you get to know people immediately around you uh, more of the time. But it also seems to be something that fosters thought and um, contemplation. And uh, also, as I find myself, I've cut back to three days a week, which is uh, um, not retiring, but I am cognizant of my age and my limits. And wanting to do other things with my time. Um, and and um, as I age, as I recognize, you know, there's something about aging, um, it's kind of like you're realizing there is a hard stop at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think when you're younger, you can go long periods of time totally ignoring that, or at least I have. And so... Uh, I'm aware of it now, and I'm aware that that you know, in terms of things I want to do, uh, as well as whatever level of understanding I'm going to get to, or um, things I want to experience, I it's time to do it. I don't just mean collecting experiences; I mean um, sorting out what's important to me as well, and so. Um, you know, one of the things that that has struck me lately is that I still have some old baggage in some ways, stuck points that um, get in my way in terms of, without me always realizing it, in terms of preventing me from maybe taking on new adventures or trying something totally new. Um, and I... Um, as I think about that, it sometimes brings up some very old um, feelings, thoughts, uh, and I'm a therapist, so, I, so this partly, you know, uh, is how I think in terms of therapy, but that sometimes there are things that uh, we can have developed in our lives that end up being stumbling blocks and that can get in our way moving forward. And um, when I, so, so part of me was, okay, I see this thing that I've been working with for years 
So I'm just ready to, you know, dump it and move forward. And, and then I thought, I think you, you have to sit and deal with this a little bit and be empathic with your current level of understanding of this obstacle that's been in my way. Um, and so, um, I guess I, you know, this has what I'm um, going to talk about tonight. I'm going to pull from three different authors who are probably the biggest names I know in the field. Uh, but that, um, but it has to do with mindfulness, has to do with zazen, has to do with uh, sangha, um, you know, and, and not that... Um, this is to be goal-directed, but some of the things that can happen from practice. And so um, I also wanted to acknowledge that today is Martin Luther King Day, and I uh, did not design a talk around that, uh, but I wanted to just say what I'm talking about, I think, um, also is applicable in that sometimes we have attitudes, thoughts, um, unconscious reactions um, that are not very sensitive to people who are um, black uh, or who are other races or who are other cultures. Um, and um, there's different, you know, layers of looking that it's also how do you become aware of the fact that you are reacting in an insensitive way? Or how do you become aware of um, an assumption you're making that maybe is um, not very respectful or tolerant or uh, aware of that, of other, of someone else's culture or, I guess what I'm uh, trying to say is uh, sometimes we can be insensitive socially, maybe being critical of someone and not realizing that what we're being critical of might have some real cultural uh, history, uh, might be something that is common in another tradition that is not in ours. Um, and so, so also um, looking at that, those types of thoughts, habits, behaviors, becoming aware of it is, I think, similar to some of the baggage that we can have that gets in our way uh, in our personal lives. And so I um, was thinking that you, you can't, you, you need to sit with these things and when you see them, that's an important part, but you also have to sit with them and be um, sit with yourself and look at where that came from and kind of be empathic to um, maybe the misunderstanding or the the way you took something in that is not useful uh, and that maybe has become part of your thinking. Or habits, and so um, 
I I pulled from um, you know three different people tonight uh, <laughs> who are Reb Anderson and uh, Suzuki Roshi and Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who I, <laughs> I can't go wrong. Uh, uh-huh. but they are my three faves. Uh, but in terms of looking at how do we, um, you know, I'm, I guess it's mindfulness practice and also looking a little bit at how, how does that work. And so I wanted to read some different readings on this topic and encourage um, comments, your experiences, uh, and maybe make this a discussion um, in a few minutes. Um, I, um, I also, I wanted to talk a little bit about mindfulness for a minute um, in relation to this. Mindfulness, you know, sometimes I think about how big mindfulness has become in our country, and now it's almost like cliche, and um, I find myself sometimes going, yes, of course, it's good, but I'm not always thinking uh, in depth about what what does it mean? What are the implications of mindfulness? Um, it is a way to lower anxiety. It is a way to calm yourself down. Um, there are techniquey things you can do, but but it also can be something much bigger than that. As as I'm sure you all are aware. Um, I find for myself, it's it's. Um, sometimes I realize how far I am from staying or being in the present moment. Um, I've thought about this in different parts of my life, trying to get wrap my head around how do you be present? And um, for example, when I'm working during the day, when I'm talking with clients, um, my mind is very much linked to what they're saying. So for that period of time, I'm pretty focused. And that's what I'm focused on. Um, when I'm doing yoga, I was thinking about this. Uh, my yoga instructor has started making the comment frequently to link your mind to your breath. And um, we also do sitting meditation during this yoga class. And... Um, and it's interesting because when I do that, um, or when I slow down enough to link my mind to my breath and to be fully present with it, it makes me aware of um, my body. It makes me aware of my own breathing, since my heart rate more, much more aware of this as a, body that's limited, that's fragile, that's, um, has a certain number of breaths in this lifetime, but, but is not unlimited uh, eternally. And, um, and so that, um, also the other time when I, I feel like mind, I, I experience mindfulness is when I tend to take walks in outdoors in the park or in the woods um, to unwind and relax and get exercise. And I fortunately live across from the park and I um, 
find that it is much easier for me to become mindful at those times because I'm surrounded by nature. Um, and, um, and some of this same sense of um, that um, life is limited, but it's beautiful, it's dynamic, it's interactive, uh, but it's limited, comes to me in that setting as well. Um, I was walking with friends the other day in the park and the two young boys with us um, saw part of a um, baby deer, uh, which evidently I think maybe was killed by coyotes. Um, and, and there was just a hoof left and it was sad. And then, and then there was a sense of, you know, they were very sad. I, I was too. And then I was thinking, okay, the coyotes were hungry. Uh, um, and that is also a reality. And um, so, so there is something also uh, when I'm in a natural setting, I'm more aware that I'm around animals that live, some of them a certain number of years, but not nearly as many as humans do. Uh, and that some of them live one season. And so uh, using their energy is important. Uh, how they use their energy is important. No, I'm all over the place here. But I uh, am getting at mindfulness and trying to you know, I think as I become more mindful, I become more aware of the fragility of life or the ephemeral. You know, the, it's, 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 uh, it's limited. It's uh, contingent on a number of things. It um, changes over time and uh, is dynamic in that way. And so I... I uh, I think that um, the, the, the usefulness of mindfulness is that we, we kind of are able to be in the here and now and um, stop our minds wandering or, or just kind of uh, moving around continually. I wanted to... Uh, read a little bit from Zen Mind's Beginner's Mind, uh, Mind Weeds. Um, Suzuki Roshi says, Mind Weeds, you should rather be grateful for the weeds you have in your mind because eventually they will enrich your practice. When the alarm rings early in the morning and you get up, I think you do not feel so good. It is not easy to go and sit. And even after you arrive at the Zendo and begin Zazen, you have to encourage yourself to sit well. These are just waves of your mind. In pure Zazen, there should not be any waves in your mind. While you are sitting, these waves will become smaller and smaller, and your effort will change into subtle feeling, some subtle feeling. We say pulling out the weeds, we give nourishment to the plant. We pull the weeds and bury them near the plant to give it nourishment. 
So even though you have some difficulty in your practice, even though you have some waves while you are sitting, those waves themselves will help you. So you should not be bothered by your mind. You should rather be grateful for the weeds because eventually they will enrich your practice. If you have some experience of how the weeds in your mind change into mental nourishment, your practice will make remarkable progress. You will feel the progress. You will feel how they change into self-nourishment. Of course, it is not so difficult to give some philosophical or psychological interpretation of our practice, but that is not enough. We must have the actual experience of how our weeds change into nourishment. We should try to continue our effort forever, but we should not expect to reach some stage when we will forget all about it. We should just try to keep our mind on our breathing. That is our actual practice, the effort that will be refined more and more while you are sitting. At first, the effort you make is quite rough and impure, but by the power of practice, the effort will become purer and purer. When your effort becomes pure, your body and mind become pure. This is the way we practice Zen. So I find that reassuring that it's uh, not a goal that we're going for, that, uh, that we, we keep sitting, we keep following our breath. We're not necessarily going to experience an endpoint. Um, but that there is a shift that gradually happens. I'm going to pull from these three things, and then I'm going to open this up for some discussion. So in Being Upright, um, which is Reb Anderson's book about the precepts, um, I just want to pull a couple of things. Practicing patience with this anxiety, which is he's referred to previously, um, that it's normal for people to have anxiety. Practicing patience with this anxiety will lead you to freedom from delusion and anxiety. When you practice patience, you give yourself a gift. You give you wish for yourself to be happy. You want to understand what this suffering is based on and be free of it. You begin to develop compassion. Practicing patience leads to the next stage, which is the mind of renunciation. Not quite full renunciation, but the willingness to let go of attachments and deluded views. And then finally, I want to read some things from Thich Nhat Hanh that I find very useful in his discussion of mindfulness. The practice of mindfulness is the key to enlightenment. When you become aware of something, you begin to have enlightenment. 
when you drink a cup of water and are aware that you're drinking a cup of water deeply with your whole being, enlightenment in its initial form is there. To be enlightened is to be enlightened on something. I am enlightened on the fact that I'm drinking a cup of water. I can get joy, peace, and happiness just because of that enlightenment. When you look at the blue sky and are aware of the blue sky, the blue sky becomes real and you become real. That is enlightenment. And enlightenment, enlightenment brings about true life and true happiness. The substance of a Buddha is mindfulness. Every time you go back to your breath and practice breathing deeply in mindfulness, you are a living Buddha. When you are not sure what to do, go back to your breath. Breathe in and out consciously and take refuge in mindfulness. The best thing to do in moments of difficulty is to go back to yourself and dwell in mindfulness. When you are in bed and unable to sleep, the best thing to do is go back to your breathing. You are safe and happy knowing that no matter what happens, you are doing the best thing you can do. Taking refuge in the Buddha, not as a devotion, but as true practice is very comforting. Every time you feel confused, angry, lost, agitated, or afraid, you always have a place which you can return to. Mindfulness of breathing is your island. It is very safe. Be an island unto yourself means that you should know how to go back to yourself in case of danger, instability, or loss. This practice of taking refuge is very concrete. When you go back to your breath, breathing in and out deeply, and light the lamp of mindfulness in yourself, you are safe. In that state of mindfulness, you are truly yourself. The lamp is already lit, and the possibility of seeing things more clearly is great. And so um, I realize I've thrown a lot of things out here, but um, I think these things have kind of helped me be a little more clear about mindfulness and um, how it's useful to me, sometimes in immediate ways and sometimes in longer-term, long-term practice ways. I also am very appreciative that there is a sangha that I am part of that supports this practice and brings me back to it when I forget about it. And so I would like any comments or thoughts or reactions. If people online want to use the little um, tool to raise your hand or just wave at me, I can see you and call on you. When people in the room, please speak out because you're mostly behind me and I won't see your hand raised. <laughs> I have a question. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your experience with practicing yoga and practicing zazen and how those fit together, whether there are any tensions between them. Anyway, what your experience has been with both of those. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would say there's a similarity in both of them in that both of them, when I practice um, in a steady way, I do notice a calming down of myself. Um, and a my mind's not jumping from one thing to another as much. Um, I'm in a, a more deep state of peacefulness, I would say. I, um, in yoga for years, I was going to a more active class uh, before the pandemic where I was meeting in person with a group of people and it was a 90 minute class and it was fairly active. It was um, run by somebody who has their own meditation practice and feels that's the goal of yoga. Um, that I would go home and go to sleep for an hour after that class because I would be tired, but I'd also be in a deep state of relaxation. Um, current class we're doing is not quite as strenuous. Uh, it's online still. And um, so it's a little bit different. But um, that the yoga, this yoga practice, and it's with the same group of people and the same teacher, there is something about it that is, makes me more aware of my life uh, being here now and being limited. And um, You know, an example is one time a teacher, we were in class talking about a pose where we were stretching, trying to stand on our toes or something. That's a high reach. And, and someone said, what's the point of this? And, and the teacher said, so that you can reach the top cabinet in your kitchen. <laughs> and I was thinking, that's real. I mean, especially as we grow older. So I, I now see yoga very much as something that supports aging health well, um, that as you get older, you, you know, we're talking about a guy who had difficulty with balance and difficulty reaching the top cabinet in his kitchen. Uh, so there's a practicality to it, uh, but there is also, um, and I don't know how much this is related because I've had primarily the same teacher the whole time. So I don't know if it's... I don't know this is the same with all yoga, but um, I've become aware of uh, my body more and the things that we're doing to kind of support the body uh, and support uh, function. Uh, those things um, are helpful to know. And it's, uh, I think something about yoga has also made me aware that uh, about life being limited, about the fact that you're going through transitions uh, and you are doing different things at different ages uh, and you were trying to prolong, maybe limit the impact of arthritis or um, um, support your breathing uh, because those things, your, your breath, your breathing practice uh, very much supports the rest of your body. So um, but it's, it's very much a... Uh, meditative practice and centers me and calms me. With Zazen, I also think it centers me and calms me. I uh, have great difficulty sitting by myself at home 
taking walks in nature is probably more my zazen and I really value sitting with the group and occasionally I sit at home. Um, I would like to have had a lot of more regular practice, but I think that they're similar in terms of the orientation toward the world they both give me. Recognizing that this is a dynamic process we're in and um, and we're, we're moving through it and that we're not separate uh, from each other, that the things that affect one of us affect all of us. Um, and we can learn a lot from each other. Thank you for your question. So, um, I, I was going to say something about yoga too. I when you brought it up um, as something that brings into mindfulness, I really related to that too. I've had a long, I've had a relationship with yoga for around ten years, and I, I feel like I've variously like. Sometimes it's just exercise to me. Sometimes it's something that I'm really taking seriously as a spiritual practice. And it, sometimes I can barely get myself to do it, but I've always had a relationship with it. Um, and it came to me a really like important time in my life as a, a, a solace in many ways. Um, but I've been, I've been thinking a lot about it lately because... I'll get into kind of grooves or like sometimes it's really exercise and I'm not, I'm not really showing up to it with my like heart and my, my presence. And like, um, but I've been really trying to like get myself to be present lately with it. And yeah, I was just thinking about like when I can really, cause I do it on my own since the pandemic, I just kind of got into my own practice at home. Yeah. Um, and so the whole thing is, like I time the whole thing through my breath because I'm trying to remember, you know, when to move to what pose based on how long I've been in it, which offers a really like a really direct way into kind of connecting immediately. And I just, yeah, I find that like when I can't get myself to focus on my breath then it's so much easier to, yeah, my mind's running. I'm thinking I'm, I'm doing all these other things. Maybe I want to listen to something and I want to like not be present and just get through it. And then, but if I can force myself to kind of, just actually be present with it. Like what you were saying about having a relationship with your body really resonates for me because I'll, I'll realize it as like, yeah, it turns into like a conversation with my body. Like my body feels different at the beginning of this practice than it does at the end. And I can breathe into paying really deep attention to what does this feel like right now? And how do I want to move? And it, and it can offer like a really, creative um way to be in your body as well when you're like when you can feel responsive um to that and yeah I was just resonating because I think that that's been my like longest kind of mindful practice that I've only kind of retroactively connected with mm -hmm. thank you I can relate to a lot of what you said uh, I appreciate that yeah yeah it is a meditative movement you know and, and so it uh, the breathing is similar to zazen and that you're focusing on the breathing, that it brings you more into your body. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Laura. So, um, it's going to end up being a whole discussion about yoga, but I wonder, uh, you know, we always talk about Zatan coming to this country and being uh, 
changed by our culture as it has changed, as it's gone from India to China to Japan to Korea and so forth. And uh, I, you know, I wonder, and then I, 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 the kind of person that resists that kind of change and wants it to stay. But when I go and do yoga, they play rock and roll music while you're doing it. And I just worry. I mean, that's how culture has changed that spiritual practice in a huge way. I mean, how many people do that? It's, it's very uh, nerve-wracking <laughs> to, to have it be that way. And I, and I wonder if those kinds of I mean, I don't, I'm not a serious yoga practitioner. I do it for some judging and, you know, as you say, try to combat the age, aging joints and so forth. But I wonder if we're doing not quite that drastically, but changes to this practice that maybe are not so good. And if it's, I don't know, I'm just wary or, I don't know, mindful or watchful or something are you thinking about mindfulness kinds of yes techniques you know, or kind um, of the mindfulness has gotten into the culture in this very um commercial way and uh i don't know it's it's i don't have a, i don't have a coherent thought i just have an anxiety about it being i don't know ruined or corrupted or uh Deluded or something. Yeah. Anyway, I like yeah. it that we do it here. It's such a beautiful work together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least it feels beautiful. Right. And I feel protective of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for those thoughts. I, yeah, it makes me think of the mindfulness apps, you know, and yeah. the sense yeah. of, okay, do 10 minutes. And 10 minutes is better than not doing anything. Uh, but, but it's like, yeah, do people who get introduced to that? not realize that something like Zazen is available to them. I I don't know. I mean, what do you think about doing sun salutes to David Bowie? I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. That's I don't... Done, but that is what... Anyway. Yeah, I, I don't... I didn't know that was happening, but I it's not for me. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm a school social worker, and I work with um, teens who have dropped out of high school and then come back. Um, and like just thinking that I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to introduce mindfulness to them because uh, their lives are very uh, chaotic in a lot of a lot of ways. But uh, to introduce it in ways that will resonate with them, and so a lot of times it's like meeting them where they're at. It's like I, I hear this like anxiety, okay, but it's going to be like maybe diluted. This is all my second talking yourself, sorry. But I can also see a benefit in like letting, letting it change, I guess, so that more people can access the benefits. Because uh-huh. I just, I know like that the benefits of mindfulness would just be so, so life-changing and useful for my students who are struggling with so many crazy things that I never have to struggle with. Um, and if the way for them to access it is to, you know, do something dedicated to David Bowie or, like, yeah. you know, Chance the Rapper or something so that they can at least, like, find some way to make it useful to them, I don't know. I feel like that's yeah. better than nothing. Yeah. 
I agree. And I think um, you're right how to access it. And, and because then it introduces something that then you might later expand on and you have the capacity to expand on. Mm -hmm. And part of it is, you know, how many people get introduced to this? I mean, we're not in the newspaper. We're, you know, most of my friends, when I mentioned Sangha, they have no clue. You know, I tried to describe to someone, I, my neighbor, I was, I've gotten to know her and I was gone all day. And she said, you were gone all day that Sunday. It was a, uh, the Monday sitting. And, and I tried to describe to her what she did, what we did. And it was like, I wish I hadn't even tried to describe it. Because it was, so she was just like completely, you know, but that it's like, because there hasn't been the, there's no in between. We don't have ways of, you know, like churches, prayer is common or there are certain practices, but this practice is, is pretty unusual in our culture in general. But I, I agree to have people have access to some, an introduction of way in to yoga or mindfulness is necessary, is important. Yeah, I would add that I, I definitely um, was introduced to yoga in an entirely secular and very commercialized setting, and I have found a lot of spiritual benefit from being with it over time. So, yeah. I was just thinking and talking about this with someone earlier today. Um, when we think about how Zen was practiced through the millennia, and how fortunate we are as Americans in this time and place to be able to access all these you know, ancient teachings and be able to practice in a way that people only did in monasteries for, you know, and only men, you know, you know or I guess maybe separately and, and for the rest of their lives. And, and to be able to bring that to our lives now um, in ways that might appall those ancient ones to some extent, but also we are we are living now, and and so I mm -hmm. I think you know things that are things that are beneficial will stay, and things that are not you know worthless hopefully will pass. Mm -hmm. Right, and 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 what we're getting at here is a little bit of how do people access it, uh, and Tignan uh, uh, Han talks about. You know, like some people practice Buddhism by, is adoring the word he used, but uh, uh, the, the local um, priests, the, the Buddhist priests, you know, they um, support them and they count on the priests to do meditation. And, uh, and then the current practice that we're doing in the United States is more that we're, we're doing the practice ourselves, that we are working toward transformation ourselves. Um, and so there's different choices. Uh, my yoga teacher, once someone asked him, or I asked him, because I have some family members who do hot yoga, and I tried it once. We were on vacation together, and I, my heart just was racing. I had to leave, and I was miserable. And so I, uh, I mentioned it to him, and he said, that's it's for young people. You know, it's, it's more like an exercise. It's a type of exercise for young people. He doesn't consider it true yoga, but it's a type of yoga. And I think if people try that and they like it, then they're more likely to sign up for a different class or to experiment. And 
uh, explore a little bit the different things that are out there, which might lead them to a class that has a little bit of meditation and focus on breath. For, for what it's worth, um, uh, I, I might point out that uh, David Bowie himself was a, a, a devout Buddhist and came very close to <clears throat> pardon me, becoming a Buddhist monk uh, in, in the 60s. Uh, his, um, uh, his, his teacher, uh, probably to his benefit, uh, said, uh, Mr. Jones, that was his name back then, David Jones, uh, you might be better off pursuing music. But uh, he he was uh, uh, he was a very serious uh, student of of, uh, of 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 Buddhism, uh, Buddhist meditation, and he actually had a a Buddhist funeral. And um, I just he was very um, uh, your 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 talk has made me think uh, uh, quite a bit about my, about my history, and I had to think back. And I was taught yoga by Americans. And I was introduced to Buddhism by Americans. I'm still discussing Buddhism with um, mostly Americans. And um, it's, it's kind of exciting to me, the, the, the history that uh, the last century or so has, has uh, taken some of the uh, Asian, Asian cultures on our soil. And a lot of this was uh, after World War II when, um, well, if this was Italy, of course, when they, they, the GIs went to Europe and they said, you know, they've got this uh, this pie in Italy, which is delicious, called they call it pizza. And it was after World War II that, that the GIs came back. Some of them opened up restaurants and, uh, they had pizza before then, of course, but that's when it really took off. Um, martial arts was the same thing, uh, after the, uh, Americans were deployed in Japan and Korea and, uh, uh, and other countries. They came back and, and, and said, you know, you should see the way these Asian guys fight. And some of them learned it and some of them, Started schools, and I think the same kind of thing is happening with uh, uh, with with Buddhism, um, and uh, uh, it's kind of exciting. And it's not going to take the same the same tenor or the same path uh, necessarily that that the older forms took. Uh, you know, when when Buddhism originated in India, uh, Indian students picked it up and and they 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 learned from it, but they didn't stop being Indians. The the philosophy went to uh, China. And uh, the Chinese learned it and added their own uh, little twist to it, but they didn't stop being Chinese. And then uh, they, they transmigrated to uh, Japan. Japan uh, added their own take to it. They didn't stop being Japanese. And we're not about, for better or worse, to stop becoming Americans, about being Americans, but uh, we're, we're certainly practicing Buddhism more and more and uh, doing it, um, I hope, for better, maybe worse. But anyway, so we're, we are doing it in our own way, and and uh, you know we can we can always opt for the uh, more uh, traditional methods uh, uh, if if we want to. So I I don't know how valuable that is, but there you have it. Yeah, thank you. I I think it's it is interesting that as the world becomes smaller in a way, as people are exposed, travel more and more. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking. Um, about the exposure of you know the teachers uh, and my yoga teacher um, is Austrian and you know, he was young left a career in computer science uh, to pursue ashrams and went to India for a while and went to uh, traveled all over the world for a few years 
um, had a teacher who kind of sent him to the United States. And so he, he brought a lot of Indian ideas about yoga uh, to Chicago back in the 70s. Um, and that's just one influence. There were a lot of people doing things like that. Um, but with Buddhism, too, uh, yeah, it is interesting how these things get moved around. And, um, you know, I'm and used in different settings. Like, I know mindfulness has been used very successfully in school settings, which has been helpful. Excuse me. Just go ahead. Oh, I didn't want to stop you. No, it's fine. Um, I... I was going to say, just this discussion, um, I um, I think um, because I've had this experience kind of growing up and being very involved with the, uh, the Mormon church and something that's very, um, very common to hear, you know, in, in that, uh, that environment, that community, that religion is, is that this is like, there's a path and it's this one, there's like one path. Right. And this is the truth, you know. And um, so I feel now like, you know, I've been evolving in my beliefs and my spirituality. And as I've as I've done that, it's been very important for me to not look at things as like there's one way to do it. There's one way to experience something and there's one path and one truth that that looks a certain way. It, it doesn't really matter i think um how it looks necessarily how it um how it expresses in this like physical physical way and i i I want to to kind of like call back to the talk that we had last week when we were talking about how the mountains and the water and the animals that they all have these different perceptions and awarenesses and these different experiences that they experience life so differently, but that I I also have a different awareness from from Lindsay and from Douglas and from Kathy, and how we all experience these things differently. And so mindfulness is something that happens with like on the inside of us, right? And so it's I feel like you know maybe for someone it is rock music, you know, and maybe that isn't for you, but like maybe that really does take someone to that place for them. So I, don't, I, I feel like that's been something that I've needed to tell myself because of my, my experience, you know? Um, but just this discussion was making me think of that. I just wanted to share it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're, you're right. And I think about different things in my life uh, um, when rock music was, uh, yeah, was uh, played a, uh, wonderful role in my life when I was in my 20s and 30s um, that it was a more it was a transformative experience at times music was m- more so not sure what happened there. <laughs> um, anyway thank you a- any other comments oh, no, comment maybe. oh talking and oh just oh. one and then the other go ahead go ahead oh. Uh, just briefly, um, I used to feel like, you know, after I'd been practicing, quote unquote, seriously for a while, I used to think the mindfulness mo- movement was kind of a 
uh, you know, not uh, kind of uh, diluted, diluted uh, Buddhism. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't the real thing. And I've, I've, my, just my opinion, but I, I more and more feel like anything that helps is great, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and there are a lot of people who, you know, as Joe was saying, there are a lot of people who are helped by mindfulness and other things. And if psychology is great, his helps, that's great and whatever, you know? So, uh, we're, we're doing a traditional or some American form of a traditional Buddhist practice, but, um, Anything that helps that yoga or psychology or uh, rock and roll, whatever, um, great. That's wonderful. Whatever helps people. So. Yeah. yeah. One last comment. I was going to say that this idea of mindfulness was making me think of um, ceaseless practice, and this idea that ceaseless practice is already all around us. That. All, all Buddhas are constantly performing the ceaseless practice and we benefit whether we know it or not and we also can participate you know this idea that when what are you saying what kind of practice ceaseless practice ceaseless ceaseless, ceaseless continuous, like, continuous not perpetual oh 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 thank you go ahead yeah okay. and and that like we we benefit by participating in it, like this, this idea of mindfulness, this doing it with full awareness that you're talking about was making me think of this, like participating in being uh, with the beings that are around you, which is coming into an awareness of them being there, you know, that like this umbel, this way that all of these beings are, then also interact with all the other ways that other beings are. And during the, the conversation about the about we were talking about like sense perception changes, but sense perception only exists because beings come into each other's you know understanding. Mm-hmm. And because we relate to one another, we are changed by that experience. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Which yeah, yeah, was just making me think of this idea of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. It makes me that makes me think about, you know, like some people maybe are drawn to live in cities versus the countryside, you know, maybe for that reason, uh, because you, you get exposed more. Um, 